When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. buddy i'm doing much better i needed that little laugh after derek's uh super bowl flu knocked him out of commission (laughs) for monday he is back with us apparently devon was replaced by a robot who who malfunctioned in the middle of us talking i don't know what is going on there but uh did you catch the game last night Derek? yes the the first yeah i caught i caught most of it live while it was going on i caught some of it and then I went and re- rewatched most of it this morning. Uh, so, yes, I did catch the game. We have Devon back here. I'm curious to see whether or not he is actually with us. How you doing, Devon? Nope. nope uh, still not with us. This is going to be a two-man <laughs> show, it looks like. <laughs> this is an all-timer. Uh, all right. Um, no, I, I certainly did catch the game. Uh, obviously, that win there was one of the most improbable wins that we've seen in quite a while. You know, I saw some people sort of talking about whether what was the best non-Joel Embiid win. And obviously the next one you go back to was against the Celtics. This is a different scenario, but perhaps even more improbable. You don't have James Harden and Tyrese Maxey to leave you or lead you. You just have Tyrese Maxey and the newly acquired Buddy Heald. Uh, that was a, a real fun game. And look, we spent so much time. Devon's still sitting here. I'm still not sure if he's able to talk. So just say something. If you have your voice back, buddy, we did miss you. I'm, I'm here. Can you all guys right, hear me okay? Oh, wow. All, all right. right. I don't know what malfunction happened. Oh, man, I'm here. But go ahead, Derek, continue. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just saying, like, we spent so much time talking about the need to get to 14. You picked up two of them. One of them, one of the most improbable wins we've seen in a long time. And a lot of it driven by the pieces that they just recently acquired that are fitting well and, and elevating the team and giving you a chance in a math battle. Uh, a lot of good play from a lot of people who you don't necessarily count on every day but who gave you a huge shot in the arm there. Another great Rick game, which is, I mean, we're all on board for that one. Uh, that was that was really enjoyable. You go, you go Kyle, just to make sure. <laughs> um. I know, I, I can't hear Kyle. I, I don't know what has gone on today. Guys. There he is. Just, I got it. Um, yeah, this guy. I was waiting for Devon. I, you know, I'm yeah. completely flustered here. I am completely. Well, flustered. how about this? I'll jump in. Yes, Derek, it was there. Uh, it was arguably their best win of the season last night, and it was fun to talk about it last <laughs> night in the in the in the way that we did because it, just so many things that again just stood out in it. The fact that they were playing the hottest team in the league, uh, lost the lead at some point in the third quarter where they were trailing after three, but still found a way to not just manufacture buckets, but stick around, retake the lead, and then not relinquish it, relinquish it. And to to be up about, what was it, 10 points, Kyle, they were up at, at that point in the uh, fourth quarter. And then to give that up once Buddy Hill fouled out and to, to maintain, still get some Tyrese Maxey doing what he did. We talked about it, Derek, hitting those two mid-range shots, especially the one along the baseline over Max Struess, which was a fantastic shot. And, and then the, the Paul Reed block and and so many different things that, that played itself out in that game to allow us to talk about it being the, the best win of the season for this team. So that was a gutsy win, really good performance. Nick Nurse thought he did a really good job. We'll talk about him a little bit later. Uh, but so much showed itself in that in that game and it gives some people hope 
once some of the others come back before the B part, if we're expecting Batum and Harris and Melton, hopefully at some point to come back too, gives them well, hope fans wise, gives them hope yeah. to, to have this team still be able to compete and get to the number that you talked about over the final 30 games to stay hope maybe in that top six, instead of falling into the play in tournament. And to your point, this was from Kai Carlin, uh, because None of us were at practice today. Obviously, we were getting our internet connections prepared for this show. Uh, but he says that all of De'Anthony Melton, Nick Batum, and Tobias Harris were partial participants. So it does look like Hospital Sixers is at least trending in the right direction. Uh, and as we have been shown time and time again over the years, doesn't guarantee they are on their way back. I would still be cautious, especially after picking up these two wins. Like, just get them back after the All-Star break and you're good to go. You don't need to rush them back here for that last game tomorrow. Uh, but that is all good news. All good news. Yeah, and partial participants kind of spells out that they're they're not going to play tomorrow, right? Like yeah. I, I don't I don't think DeAnthony after this long of a layoff, you can't go from partial participant to hey young man, go out there and play. Hey, like you have to be at full go with a back thing. And I told you guys last week that I thought it was trending this way for Melton specifically. The other guys, you know, a little bit more of wild cards, but. It seems like we are going to run into once the break is over the the question that we posed through the headline, which is whether Buddy should start. So I don't know if either of you have uh, especially strong takes on the matter, but maybe while we still have Devon and not in Robot World, we'll, we'll kick it to you and, and I guess <laughs> what you've seen from Buddy so far, and if you think he has done enough to say. D'Anthony, you are now the sixth man, or whoever else for that matter. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be D'Anthony, but he's kind of the natural candidate, I would guess. Well, it, it goes back to our earlier conversation uh, when you and I, when us three would talk about things in the offseason before I was able to join you in December and listening to you guys, of course, since September when this discussion had come up, if James Harden was to move and there was no, no other – strong candidate to be that that number two guy in the backcourt with Tyrese Maxey, then, you know, what else do you do? My belief has always been that DeAnthony Melton is at his best as a sixth man. It's not a knock. It's still a guy who's going to get 20 plus minutes as a rotational player in the playoffs. His defense is very valuable. His shooting and ball handling is still very valuable on this basketball team. Even as a six man, it doesn't mean that he has to be a starter, especially when my personal belief is he's at his best coming off the bench with that second unit, providing some different stuff for, for the Sixers. So with Buddy Heel showing the stuff that he has shown us, it's not that we haven't seen it with the ball handling, the shot creation sometimes, because Kyle, we talked about this even last night, going back to Oklahoma, we saw that it was there. It's a different level, but we also knew that he was a different level pro prospect where some of that would translate to the NBA. When he got to Sacramento, they didn't need that type of stuff from him. When he got to Indiana, still a different role because he came with Tyrese Halliburton and that was going to be the point guard of the future. And even as a, a starter at the two guard spot, they had so many other different things within their lineups that he didn't have to do that. Now, he may not have to do it in the manner that he's doing it right now with this team because they're missing so much. But what he has shown me is the potential to be that starting backcourt guy, give that spacing in that in that first five with them to start the game off. And with nurses substitution patterns, haven't figured it out yet because everybody is not here. Well, we know Tyrese Maxey comes out at right around the seven minute mark for Nick Nurse. Joel plays the entire 12 minutes. Those are the main two, and I'm curious when those players do come back, what would that substitution be like for Buddy Hill? But for that, for right now, the stuff that he's doing by putting the ball on the floor, the assist numbers, that averaging seven assists right now, and, and what he has going on with Paul Reed, and allowing for the things that he does to open more up for Tyrese Maxey as a scorer, and even as a distributor out there, this is a really good sign for me that I think once all healthy, DeAnthony Melton should go back to the bench. And it would also kind of level things out with him coming off the bench with Kelly Oubre, who we've talked about before, where sometimes he can get a little out of control. And if that is, you have somebody who can come in and also calm things down just a little bit in DeAnthony Melton, where you have Kelly Oubre. Hey, Kelly, Kelly I don't Oubre know that DeAnthony is the, the calming guy. I, I, I think DeAnthony. Well, I, I look at him, I look at him as a. Anything. 
I look at him as a, as a calming guy, just in the sense that I feel like I can trust the Anthony Melton much more than I, than I can. The scoring is not the same. It's a different type of player, but in terms of uh, somebody I could trust a little bit more, I trust him more than I do Kelly Oubre. And then the Kyle Lowry piece factors in there too, but Buddy Hill, yes, I would put him in the starting five because of it just fits with, I think, everybody else. And let's not forget about the Nick Batum piece where the passing with him also and, and making sure that Hill will get his good shots and things of that nature. Yeah, so uh, I, I will personally address a few things here. One, I, I've seen some people in the chat already saying Tobias is the guy who should get benched. Tobias and let me starting. tell you. He's Tobias starting. is not yeah. getting benched. There, there is. Right. I would. I won't say zero. I, I'll never say zero. But I would say it's like a point zero 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 one percent chance possibility of that happening. The locker also, room like, politics just, would be just outside of that. Like, just look at the height. You can't have like, let's say, if you're going to keep Melton yeah. in there, you can't have Tyrese, Buddy, and Melton. Who's going to defend the three? There's no one that you're going to trust to defend three against say the Boston Celtics you, you in the playoffs. You didn't watch that game last night, Derek, because he went nuts, <laughs> Nick Nurse did with that lineup. <laughs> sure, but going into a playoff series, that's not gonna happen. And there's no world where I think that Nick Nurse is going to start Kelly Oubre over Tobias. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think right. Batum and, and Harris are locks in the starting lineup as much as some people in the chat want to push back on that. Yeah. And you know, the Batum piece is pretty easy. That's a guy who fits seamlessly as a starter who I don't think Devon, sort of to your point about D'Anthony, I don't think he's a guy that comes in off the bench and is like, oh, Nick Batum is a chaos creator, right? Like maybe you could argue if you bring him in off the bench alongside Oubre, that's someone who I think is more of a stabilizer, like just a heady, intelligent player. I get all that. But I, I do think that Joel specifically benefits from having Batum on the floor with him as much as possible. So that that takes him out of that argument. And look, I... I respect what D'Anthony brings to the table. And he does some of the things that Buddy does, at least like in terms of the, the quick release and the fearlessness as a shooter. But he is certainly not the same level of shooter and he's not given the same respect that teams pay to Buddy. And to me, I put such a, a high premium on that alongside Joel as well as Tyrese. The only real argument for me to not start Buddy would be to say, well, I'm concerned about the defense if you start sure. Tyrese and Buddy. And that's a real thing. I do think Buddy's defense so far in, in a limited sample has been better than I expected. Now, last night, Devon, you can back me up on this. There were a few plays where I'm like, that's a dumbass foul, Buddy. What are you doing? Like yeah. things like that. And so I, I don't think he's close to perfect, but I also think you might as well put him out there with Joel Embiid and with their other, you know, good defenders, a, as sturdy of a defensive group as you can put out there when they're fully healthy. And you get all the benefits that we saw, like, look, they're running split actions with Tyrese and Buddy last night. And I, I just, the shooting is so, so, so important. I think you have enough defense between Tobias, Batum, and Joel to make up for what you're lacking between Tyrese and Buddy in the backcourt. And then if you look at the reserves, once you shake out the rotation, you're looking at a group that we expect will be Kyle Lowry, DeAnthony Melton, Robert Covington, Kelly Oubre, Paul Reed. And, and to me, maybe that, that might shrink to nine, maybe eight, as few as eight in the playoffs, depending on the game. That's a strong 10-man group. You get good balance with the starters, the reserves, and as you blend those guys in. And frankly, I, I think it's important to see just how far you can go with Buddy because now, as we've seen him come out on this hot start with the Sixers, you have to weigh like, okay, how important is this guy to the future and how much are we potentially willing to commit to him as an organization if you're going to keep him around on a, a longer-term deal past this season? Those are all important things to, to hash out as well. And, and one small thing to add to that, uh, Kyle, when we talk about the difference between healed and, and Melton, just a little piece of we've seen him finish at the rim right now where he doesn't have Joel Embiid. He has Paul Reed there or Mo Bamba there. We've seen him finish at the rim with those left-handed scoops, a couple of drives to the left, uh, up to the basket and finish. 
uh, with the right hand as well. What we've talked about it so much has become a recurring joke. That's not really a joke that De'Anthony Melton, as athletic as he is, he gets to the rim and he can't finish. Buddy Hield is finishing at the rim. So it's just another small component uh, to, to uh, what he could potentially bring in there uh, in that starting five with Joel Embiid, taking up that space and giving him those driving lanes where we're not worried about a double pump that's going to result in a front rim <laughs> rebound, go the other way. Instead, there might be a really good chance, a higher percentage chance that he makes that layup and get two points or quite honestly, maybe even gets to the free throw line. Yeah, I mean, look, a couple things I don't really concern myself with. I don't really, like, I think some people have a preconception of what a starter is and they'll say like, oh, well, DeAnthony's not a starter or blah, blah, blah. I don't worry about that almost at all, in part because if healthy, both these guys are playing 25, 30, maybe some nights 35, depending on the matchup and how they're going, they're both going to get their time. I don't really care about a classification of, well, this guy's a starter because of this or not a starter because of this. I think that's over-discussed. What I do care a lot about is how well lineups work together and how well skill sets mesh with each other. And, you know, two things that I think are important to that, one is shooting and gravity. The other is defensive versatility. You know, I think when they first made the acquisition of Buddy, I said, look, because Buddy's been, a, he'd been on and off the bench. Uh, he's been a starter, I think, probably about 60% of his games. Some situations he should be a starter, some he shouldn't. I think Melton's a little bit like that. Maybe you'd flip it, say 40% of the games, he should start 60, he should not. But both have to be in the right spot to be a starter. And I think my initial instinct was, look, the starting lineup with Melton in there was doing so well. You know, plus 33 in like 500 possessions is an insane number. Uh, one I expect to come down, but one, there's a large enough sample there that you trust that to some degree. Uh, if it's not broke, you know, don't necessarily change it, especially because I think there are real defensive concerns with Tyrese and Buddy starting alongside of each other. That being said, I do value gravity a lot. I think Buddy has, <clears throat> especially when Embiid comes back, as much gravity as almost anyone in the league would have in this lineup. So that is one thing. Even if I, I say one of my priorities is defensive versatility and Buddy doesn't offer that, one of my other priorities is gravity. So there's always been a little bit of a push-pull. And like I said, I think my initial instinct was keep Melton in the starting lineup, bring Buddy in as a six man. They'll both play 30 minutes. Who really cares? You can close with, with whichever one has the right matchup or is playing well. Uh, that being said, I think Buddy's defense has been better than I expected. Uh, so if that is true, everyone acknowledged right from the jump that Buddy is a better offensive player and offensive fit than DeAnthony. If the defense if the gap defensively isn't as big as I previously thought. And I think I've always been like, I think DeAnthony's a good, useful defender, but not perfect. And if that gap between those two isn't as big as I thought, then yeah, I would I would certainly start looking towards starting Buddy. Uh, I would like to get a little more information. I actually looked up, if you had to guess the offensive rating in 117 possessions with Maxi and Buddy next to each other, or defensive rating, I mean, I'm sorry. It was a lot worse than I thought. They gave up 128.4 yeah. points per 100 so far. It's three games, it doesn't matter. But it is something to keep an eye on. Do they have the versatility? Because the eye test for me said, no, Buddy's actually competing pretty well. He's holding up better than I expected. He's certainly giving better effort than I expected. The question is, does that translate when you start playing against Boston and that ilk? And truth be told, DeAnthony would struggle a little bit there because he just doesn't have the size. He doesn't get through screens good enough. Like I said, he's not a perfect defender. And I think a lot of times we oversimplify it by saying he's a good one. He is exploitable to some degree. I guess a long way, this is a long way of me saying my initial inclination was to keep Anthony in there because it was working and because he offered a little more defensive versatility after three games. I've shifted a little bit towards my inclination being start buddy, bring DeAnthony off the bench. But really, if I take a step back, I'm saying I can't believe we're even having this discussion because nobody's freaking healthy on this team and I have no confidence anyone ever will be. I have to see DeAnthony <laughs> walk before I pencil him into any kind of a role, but it is a good problem to have. It really is. And uh, if you want to see... The new look Sixers, whether it's the Anthony Melton in the starting lineup, Buddy Hield in the starting lineup. You want to see the new guys, go check them out at the arena. Got to go to our friends at Game Time. Buy tickets to your favorite events. Should not be stressful, folks. So Game yeah, Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. And with killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun that you'll have. Here are a few things to experience on the Game Time app, like I have. Of course, flash deals and last-minute tickets. Easy to find and buy tickets uh, for every kind of event in your area. And those images of seat views are key. That's clutch right there to know exactly where you're sitting so you can see 
all the floor, everything that's happening, you need to see it. Lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, job loss protection, et cetera. Who gives you that? Well, Game Time does because it's the place for last minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Tomorrow, final game before the All-Star break. Maybe you want to be in the building in South Philadelphia. You get exclusive flash deals on tickets for basketball, football, baseball is about to come back, concerts, comedy theater, and more. The Game Time Guarantee means you'll always get the best price. And if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. So snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code PHLY for $20 off of your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PHLY for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. We also want to make sure we tell you about Rocket Money uh, because we all want to make sure that you get the most out of your money and that you're not wasting money on unnecessary subscriptions. You could buy a little free swag then. Anyway, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. With Rocket Money, you can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, you can cancel it with a tap and you never have to get on the phone with customer service. We'll even try to get your refund for the last couple months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and helps save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwed subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash PHLY. That's rocketmoney.com slash PHLY. Rocketmoney.com slash PHLY. All right. Welcome back. And uh, I did it again where I left the mute button on and started okay. talking. So this you know, is live, I'm, I'm man. Really, it does, it's okay. Really firing on all cylinders today. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I've made fun of Devon for being a robot and this robot can't even <laughs> click the unmute button. So, you know, it's okay. bad job by me. Um, I was going to say to build off of what Derek was saying, Buddy clearly to this point in his career has been viewed as a guy who is more of a, like DeAnthony, a situational starter. He is not someone who has been, at least in the eyes of his coaches he had previously, not someone who you just pencil in every night and say, oh, well, He's in. He's definitely a starter. He fits against this team. He's matchup proof, et cetera, et cetera. And I would say part of that has worked to the Sixers' advantage. I think they, I mean, based on what Daryl Morey said publicly, based on the price that seems to have been quite low for the type of offensive value they're getting from him so far, it appears that they got him because at a lower price because the league did not see the same value for him as maybe the Sixers did. That the Sixers looked at him and said, look, in this ecosystem, with our surrounding talent, with our needs, he can provide more value for us than maybe he would elsewhere. And that, to me, I think was part of the logic of trading for this guy at all and saying, hey, look, we're going to get, you know, whatever it is, three months, four months, whatever, to look at this guy in our system and we could potentially pay him and we'll have more interest in paying him than let's say the rest of the marketplace. So maybe you're not, you're not necessarily having to outbid and put in a crazy contract on this guy at the end of it. Now, if he plays the way he has the last three nights, there's going to be a bidding war for Buddy Heald. So we'll see, but it's certainly a good problem to have. I think we'll see what happens when it's more of a Joel and Tyrese centric world and buddy is not getting these opportunities to play make and run pick and rolls and like his his assist numbers will go down his volume to an extent will go down but i would imagine and i'm sure you guys agree with this his average shot quality is going to go up like that's just when you have joel commanding double teams in the middle of the floor that's just a natural as my dog whines at me apparently to uh get off the air for whatever reason he wants to go play in the snow uh, when you have joel commanding doubles in the middle of the floor and buddy's out there and nick batum is out there and tyrese maxi is out there that's three guys that have quick releases are great catch and shoot guys and teams don't want to leave alone so all of a sudden you're put in a scenario where you can't leave 
and even Tobias. Tobias is a good shooter, if a reluctant shooter. You put great shooting around Joel, you're really making it difficult for defenses to do anything other than single cover him or give up an open three to a 40%, 40-plus percent three-point shooter. And that has always been the holy grail. The question really is, do they hold up defensively? And defense is where they've had fewer struggles historically in the playoffs with Joel. It's always been in most series that they've lost. It's been because they haven't been able to score enough. And I think if you make the offense as you know playoff proof as it can be, you can overcome basically anything. If they can score points, I believe in Joel Embiid's ability to put together a, a, a title winning defense with him as the anchor. So I had a, I was talking to my a, a good buddy who's been around the game of basketball for a while. Goes by the name of Glenn. What if we ask Tyrese Maxey to come off the bench? <laughs> Let's not no. do that again. Don't speak that evil into Please. the world, Derek. And, <laughs> and whatever you do, don't say that Tyrese's idea was <laughs> that absolute um, nonsense. As you were saying all that, Kyle, about the defense in the playoffs, it made me think about the J.J. Reddick run during the two years that he was here. And the offense, sometimes, of course, it was there. And then when he got to the Boston series, some things went the other way. But it was more specifically about what the fan base or what maybe you guys would write about at the time and I talked about was his defense or lack thereof or on the other end. So I bring that up just to say that we we have seen it a little bit. Is that a glimpse of what we're talking about, but maybe a little more athletic when it comes to Buddy Hill versus uh, J.J. Redick and maybe getting around those screens. And as, as good as he was as a team defender and help defender, we know that part of the problem was him on his man or getting through those screens and getting over the top of those screens to, to close out and not get torched on the other end. So it made me think of the J.J. Redick playoffs where we're talking about Buddy Hill, similar type of player, of course, with the shooting reputation that he has, not known as a defender, uh, but could he be, are we going to see the same or could it be a little bit different because of the foot speed, and of course, all of that stuff to want to in that particular game once we once we do get there. Well, I was waiting to see if if Derek would take that one over there because I don't want to just can continue to to bogart over here. I would say this: I can one, only speak I, for I, like thirty seconds at a time before I give out anyway. So go for it. <laughs> uh, so a few things here, Devon. One, I would say the half court offense issues against Boston in that series were horrible they were pronounced and i think you saw the limitations that ben simmons had as a lead ball handler back then certainly robert covington getting taken out of the lineup entirely in favor of tj mcconnell in that series well not entirely out of the starting lineup mm -hmm. i should say but covington being replaced by tj showed you that they needed more creation just another person who could do more than be a standstill shooter. You know, Cove was getting picked on quite heavily in that series and was not leaving the defensive impact. And so they had to take him off the floor and, and sub TJ in. So that's number two. And it's a fair point because JJ was hunted in that series. And I would say that Boston at that time and certainly since is a pretty unique team in that, especially back then, they were a, hunt the bozo yep. offense right that they were specifically designed to hey we got Jalen brown we got jason tatum we got terry rozier even marcus smart to a, a lesser extent were all guys that if brad stevens at the time felt that they had a favorable matchup they were going to go and pick at it and pick at it and pick at it and pick at it and the sixers did a poor job <laughs> of addressing that so some of that you could say hey the, they didn't do well from a personnel standpoint, they didn't respond well schematically. And those are two things that you would hope are better now. They didn't have ways to address it. But I do think, again, some of it starts with the offense. If your offense is better and you are constantly getting back and set and you're not trying to defend a team that's getting cross matches in early offense and is in transition and is not pulling the ball out of their own basket, I think you are able to at least not completely eliminate, but definitely diminish some of the issues you would have by having a 
a single poor defender or a couple of poor defenders on the floor. So that's, we'll see, but I have more confidence that on a general level that a Joel Embiid team will have a, a good playoff defense than a good right. playoff offense. Right. At the very least, if they're going to die, I wouldn't mind seeing them die a different way. Like we've seen, you know, Joel Embiid come out and not be as effective, whether that's because of injury or spacing. We've seen him play alongside two power forwards. Didn't go great. We've seen <laughs> all kinds of different iterations of this team, non-shooting point guards. You look up and down this roster now, really until you get to, if you look at your, you know, your starting five, let's say Buddy's in that starting five, Milton sort of as a six man, Kyle Lowry, Paul Reed, and Kelly Oubre as your rotation. Outside of Kelly, Every non-center can shoot. And Kelly's even a, you know, he's a streaky shooter. He's not a non-shooter. He's just a very streaky shooter. I, I just want to see Joel with this kind of spacing. I really hope, uh, not taking dark place, I really hope he can come back just so we can see what it looks like uh, because we've never had this kind of spacing around Joel. I do think Buddy is going to be a terrific fit alongside of them if, uh, if that comes to pass. Like I said, do I have concerns about the defense? 100%. Uh, you just look at the top four of the guard rotation, throw five in there if campaign plays as well. All five, all five of them are exploitable to various degrees. Uh, D'Anthony is your best defender out there, but they just started the show off saying he's not perfect and can be exploited. But I just, I want to see that kind of spacing. I want to see that kind of movement. I want to see what Nick Nurse can draw up, and I want to see how much Joel can cover up defensively. Uh, they just need to get that big fella back. Uh, Derek, how, how did you like that Kelly Oubre 17 seconds on the shot clock, top of the three with under two minutes <laughs> mean, to go? You mean the, the game seven. winner? <laughs> don't be hating it was a game winner uh-huh you were oh, there was uh, no hating from us on the show last night. we were all in on on kelly's have, moment in the sun last night i have uh, no comment on the shot that went in and won them the game of course you don't oh uh, yeah okay i mean look it's that's 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 kelly and like yeah. people wonder why i'm lukewarm at best con concerned or and or angry at worst that kind of decision making, like if that shot doesn't go in, we're having a very different conversation. It's a story of Kelly's career. Uh, the shot went in great. And to be honest, he had such a good game the, the all, all up until that point. Even if it mm -hmm. didn't go in, I would try my hardest not to focus too much on that shot because he, he was one of the reasons they had a chance to steal a game. Sure. Uh, but that was, it was a not a great decision. It had a great result. So we'll move on. <laughs> okay. Um, before, you want to get to Elton Brand here in a second? Before we get to EB and some of the news <clears throat> that's been out there, I want to tell everybody after a big win last night, a couple of things that we do have our takeover event happening at the arena once again on the 23rd of February. If you like what you saw last night, Philadelphia taking down Cleveland, you want to see them beat them down again, this time at home. You got to come hang with us because we're going to be enjoying the game on the 23rd with all of you. Tickets, of course, are available. And uh, we hope that you can jump in, go and get those tickets. And, uh, you know, we're about 10 days out. And we want all, all the interaction that we can get from all of you in the arena on that day. We had a fun time the first time out when the Pistons were in town. And we hope this one is even better. The bar. Slightly right better team this time, guys. Slightly, Slightly better. better. Slightly better. better. And it's a Friday night, and that, 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 that can help uh, a little bit there, too. So Friday night, February 23rd, got the whole bar area that we're going to be there. So the PHLY Sixers takeover, the official takeover with Philadelphia host Cleveland, and uh, we hope to see you there uh, that day. So we hope to see you there that day, and maybe you'll have on some, some merchandise there like uh, our hoodies for our show, the PHLY Sixers podcast hoodies that are available now at phlylocker.com. Go check it out. Got some hats there. We got the hoodies for all of our shows, the new hats. Derek has the, the golf hat there. Kyle has that same golf hat right there as well. Yes, you got I do. The flat it's in brim, the closet. The trucker hat, the dad hat. We have all of those uh, all ready for you at phlylocker.com. So if you come hang out with us, you get it in time, and you can sit with us at the game with your gear on uh, at the uh, takeover as well. So we hope to see you there. Yeah, and I mean, Devon mentioned it, but that that takeover on the 23rd uh, against these same Cavaliers, a great rematch, should be a great game. And quite honestly, if you want to test this backcourt, 
this uh, maxi healed backcourt. It's a great one to do it against. We will be in attendance. There will be a bar in our section. We might make use of that. I want to see all of you guys there because it was real fun the last time. Absolutely. All right, man, Kyle, we want to get into this EB stuff. Elton Brand so in the news a little bit, right? A report out there that yeah. the Charlotte Hornets, who have made some changes at the trade deadline, and then Mitch Kupchak decides to step down from his president of basketball operations role. And with that, he's going to remain with the organization, but in a different capacity. So they're ramping up to replace that position. Uh -oh. The ramp up. The ramp, the ramp up, up. The ramp, the ramp up. <laughs> and one of those names that we have seen is none other than Sixers general manager, Elton Brand. What do you think? So funny enough, Elton has been a, um, for those of you in the chat who are not part of our, our diehards, which I highly recommend you join that to get some exclusive stuff from myself, Derek, all our other wonderful content creators, writers, reporters here at PHLY get a free shirt. But you also get access to the Discord. In our Discord, there's been a lot of Elton Brand back and forth recently because I would say the, the best word to describe his tenure at this point is controversial. Certainly, there are a lot of people who do not believe he should be with the organization at all and have made that point clear. And there's been some back and forth about, you know, what does Elton do? Go ahead, take him if you're Charlotte. Like, he, he's not helping here. And I would say this, and I've said this in our Discord. I'll say it again publicly. I think it probably says something about how blame was distributed within the Sixers, about how everything went down with the various trades and free agent moves and leaks and what have you that when that front office fell apart and then Daryl Morey eventually comes in, that Elton Brand lived to tell the tale and remain employed by the organization. Now, certainly he went from, at least on the masthead, the top guy to now the number two. But I think if you talk to you know someone like Daryl Morey, other people with power in the organization, they will tell you straight up, you know, Elton is a, a very trusted, helpful lieutenant for what Daryl is doing with the front office. They would also tell you when they've gone through, you know, let's say trade negotiations, and they've, they've had some contentious ones with the Ben Simmons trade request, the James Harden trade request, that Elton as someone who is liked and respected around the league has often been the guy who is in contact with various <clears throat> agents and what have you. And that he has been, this is not like, Every phone call that the Sixers make to another team is not coming from Daryl Morey's office or Daryl Morey's cell phone. Uh, a lot of times what they do is divide and conquer. Elton has his people that he has good rapport with, good relationships with. He talks to them. Daryl has his people, and they're able to work together to build a, you know, a more complete front office. So what I would say is my reaction is I would be interested to see what Elton looks like as the lead guy somewhere else. I certainly think he went through an interesting time here. And if we're just looking at every move that was made during that, that time with him as the lead exec, I think there were some big mistakes made, but it's all about figuring out if you're Charlotte or another team considering him for the opening, you have to figure out how much of that was him and how much of that was a product of, we'll say was a quote unquote collaborative front office setup. It was a clusterfuck, Kyle. It was a clusterfuck. <laughs> there you go, Derek. That's a, that's a probably a better, more accurate word than collaborative. So like, here, here's what I'll say. And I'm, I'm a sucker for guys getting a chance to sort of change a narrative. I think that's one of the great things about sports is you can be seen as one thing early on in your career. You can completely change that. Dirk is one of my favorite examples, but they're all over the sport. It's one of the things I would love to see with Joel. Yeah, it sucks now that he is out and injured and nobody believes in him and by proxy the team, but he might have a chance to rewrite that and completely change how he's viewed. I think Elton has a little bit of a chance too, because he is sort of defined by what happened during that clusterfuck of a period that we just talked about. And there are two rational explanations for how that went. Either Elton Brand with a year and a half of G League experience was thrust into a team with title hopes 
and put in a completely unfair situation that would be unrealistic for him to be ready for. I don't think that's true. Or B, he had less influence and less of a final say than pretty much any other GM in sports, and it was a collaborative clusterfuck, in which case there were a lot of cooks in the room and you don't know what he truly wanted at the end of the day. And I certainly believe that second explanation is a lot closer from the truth. I think part of the reason so many people got behind Elton is they knew they would have a larger than normal voice in basketball decision-making than they otherwise would have. The whole thing was a clusterfuck. I don't blame, and I'm glad we're not doing like a remote because I just dropped a few F-bombs there in a row. I apologize for all of you kids. cluster Fs. <laughs> I, I couldn't help it. Um, but, you know, I think it is, 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 I would just love to see him actually get a chance to run a team and have a, say on his on a franchise and have a say on his legacy uh certainly it was not a good job that was happened under his reign but i think there's so many contributing factors do i know if he's going to be good or bad no i frankly have no idea i know of a lot of people who speak highly of him then again you tend to speak highly of people you either work currently work with or previously worked with uh, but everyone has had pretty glowing reviews that being said he's had a few more years here to learn the ins and outs uh maybe a better situation to go to where he is not thrust right into trying to win a championship. Uh, I would like to see what he can do. I, I agree with you on, on that one, Derek, because I, I would like to see that also. Uh, oftentimes when we would talk about some moves that were made when Daryl Morey got here, Kyle said it earlier, Elton Brand was able to still remain with his basketball team, even with the new guy over top of him and not be replaced or asked to, to leave. And he has still been here. But the one thing I would talk about was, yeah, Darren Moore has done this, but also include Elton Brand because it seems that in that organization that he still has that level of respect from so many people within the organization, including the players. Uh, as players, to know that he is a former player and feels like they talk to him maybe a little bit differently than you hear from others. The respect is there from players, too. I think I even read when Patrick Beverly just left that uh, he mentioned EB and uh, something that, and I'm saying EB because that's what he said uh, in 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 the message that he put out there. So uh, I, too, would, would like to see it. There were some really good moves, like the Jimmy Butler move that he made, uh, his very first move because he was aggressive in doing so. And he landed a really good player that you thought would help get this team over the top. This is really good stuff. And then he had some other, some other ones that didn't work out so well, the Al, Al Horford piece and some even on a personal level where he was a part of it, where Mikel was traded, of course, to Phoenix. So um, I would like to see him though, have an opportunity where he is not knocked down as a guy who had an opportunity they did not like how it worked out, even though he was never really able to do all of the work himself. And uh, going to Charlotte, where they're in rebuild mode still, and, and with that, to try to figure out how they can get that, that organization on track, whether Charlotte or elsewhere, maybe a little later down the line, he gets a job this summer, maybe he replaces somebody in another organization. But I think he deserves a chance to, to do so. The guy works hard, he studies. I've talked to him about it about how you go from the player to, to, to the executive and you know what, what it all entails, the G League part to where he is now, or at least where he was before running the team, as you guys talked about a little bit earlier. I'm very curious to see if he can get it done on his own with his own franchise and his own opportunity to cook and get all those ingredients and put his team together to turn it into whatever it turns into. Yeah, and look, I don't, like, I don't, like I said, I don't know if he will be a good GM or not. I would just like to see it because I know he didn't have... And look, no GM really has final say. It always is the owner. And GMs usually have the strongest voice to that owner by a significant degree. That wasn't the case here in Philly with Brand. Um, and there were definitely moves that he didn't want to do that were done. And I'm not going to say any more than that because there's about eight different bad moves you can all pick from. But I know for a fact he didn't have as much full say as most people do. Uh, like I said, is that a does that mean he will be good or bad? I have no idea just like to see it and really what it goes back to is that whole collaborative nonsense use a different word here don't want to offend the kids that nonsense i don't blame on brand i don't even blame on the people that may have been trying to have an outsized say i blame that almost entirely on josh harris for setting up that structure and not thinking hey how could this go poorly because it was so freaking obvious how it could go poorly yeah look i i so i'll reiterate some of what i said already but I think for things to fall apart in the way that they did, where 
Jimmy Butler leaves and goes on to have a lot of success in Miami. The Horford thing's a disaster. You have to trade Josh Richardson after a year. Ends up being a good trade, obviously, but you have to trade him. And they had to completely rearrange the team that was assembled under that time. For there still to be a high level of respect for Elton speaks to what people see from him every day, right? Like, and you can trace that back to when he was a player. I, I think a big reason he was brought back at the tail end of his playing days is because it's well known around the league that he's about the right things, that he's a hard worker who's going to maximize what he has and set examples for the people around him. So when he's a player, that means the other guys in the locker room, seeing him in the weight room, seeing him keeping himself in shape, even when he's not playing, seeing him responding from suffered a devastating injury at the end of his Clippers tenure, and then comes here and is a diminished version of himself, but is still trying to give himself every opportunity he can to be as good of a player as he can. And then when you see it at the, the managerial level, it's okay. How involved is he with scouting in relationships with agents and, and calling people, talking to people, managing those relationships, both internally and around the league. And I'd like on a personal level, I like Elton. Like I've, I don't have a bad word to say about him. I can't tell you like we could go down the list, right? Like the Matisse Thibault, draft pick when that was made the McHale trade we could go to this is kind of it's overlap with Daryl but when it leaked that they had promised Isaiah Joe how much credit do you give him for that it seems like that was good talent identification and how much blame does he get for the fact that that leaked and you know there's stuff out there about who they wanted to target in the draft right like there's a lot of stuff that you have to unpack to get to the heart of how good is this guy as the leader of an organization. But as Derek said, I would like to see him get a shot. I, I think removed from the cluster F that he has referred to. I think that's the most times cluster F has been said on a single Sixers podcast before. That's got to be a new record. And just to see him either succeed or fail on his own terms, I think. Everybody deserves that. And certainly Elton, who works his ass off, definitely deserves that. Absolutely. So we'll see. Trajan Langdon, uh, the, uh, um, uh, with the New Orleans Pelicans in their front office, also someone who is a candidate for that position. And I'd be very curious to see which one of those Duke guys, if either of them, land that job in, in Charlotte, because that's, that's going to be very interesting. Uh, the Pelicans, they seem to have had more success with the draft <laughs> maybe a little bit i don't know how much he's had with that but certainly some players trey murphy herb jones and of course the top picks that they've had in zion williamson and, and all of that stuff some 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 good players on that team so i'm very curious to see how that one plays out as far as the game goes with the sixers and the lineups and all the things that we've done we talked about it a little bit last night kyle and that is the nick nurse part of it when he ran that freaky lineup of three point guards, a shooter and Buddy Heald, and whoever the five was, KJ Martin or Paul Reed, Mo Bamba, whoever it was, it was more about Terquavion Smith, Campaign, and Tyrese Maxey with Buddy Heald out there on the floor together. Not saying that it worked. They got some good looks. Turkat, even though he missed his two shots, he got two wide open threes in the corner. Unfortunately, they didn't fall. But we noticed about Nick Nurse in the past with the Toronto Raptors that he will get creative with his lineups. And in these three games, they were in the first game where the guys weren't even there for 24 hours, both campaign and Buddy Hill, but they were competitive. They were in the game. They won the last two against Washington and especially Cleveland last night. We've talked about things that we haven't liked with Nick Nurse and the substitution patterns and what he's had to do, but he he's done a pretty decent job over these last three games, having to shuffle the deck, guys being out with the illnesses and the injuries, the trades, bringing players in, having to get real creative with his lineups and the substitution patterns. Kyle, we talked about it last night off of the show while watching the game. He's pretty good these last three games, especially last night. Yeah, and, and look, I've been hitting on it with Buddy specifically. I think being able to integrate – 
guys as quickly as they have. I know Buddy is an easy guy to integrate offensively, right? Like you, the playbook is pretty simple. Get him open for a, a three, and he's more than likely going to make it uh, a lot of the time. But the fact that Buddy came in here and immediately bought into what Nick Nurse is selling, it certainly helped the campaign had experience with Nurse's playbook and had gone through a training camp with him and then played under Adrian Griffin, former Nurse assistant, who used a lot of the same terminology, if not same plays, during his brief tenure in Milwaukee, but reflects well on Nurse that they've gotten those guys up and running right away. I think the challenge was always going to be for this stretch without Joel, what does that identity look like? What is the team... How do you rearrange things, change the offense, even change the defense to some degree to get the most out of what you have and get through this month, maybe six weeks, maybe on the the conservative end, eight weeks without Joel Embiid and and put together a competitive two-way team. And we're starting to see that. These guys are showing that they can get some wins, especially against good competition in Cleveland on Monday night without their best player, without several of their best players for that matter. So this is more, I think, of what we expected from Nick watching the beginning of the season when he came in, the adaptiveness, the throw stuff at the wall, the, hey, he's going to play Ricky Council, right? Like Ricky Council is getting a real opportunity here. And yes, some of that is by necessity, but him being willing to say, hey, Rick's got it going. He's playing well. I'm going to play him throughout crunch time. He's going to get closing minutes in a game against a good team or even a game against Washington, ride the hot hand, doing that type of stuff, throwing out zones, throwing out box and ones. And then once we assume Lowry comes in probably later tonight, I think is probably when that ends up happening or getting finalized. You have a guy that if you go back and and read and watch everything that's out there about the 2019 finals run Toronto went on, Lowry was the guy that nurse would go to and say, Hey, I want to do this. And I need you to be the the go between between me and the players essentially to sell it. Like, Hey, we're playing box and one in the finals. It was a conversation between Nick nurse and Kyle Lowry. And, mm-hmm. and so having those channels of communication between in this case, a role player, but also the stars, the, the guys above Lowry in the pecking order if we can see these new things being tried, like Tobias guarding big men and using a roamer, as we saw against Sacramento and Denver and teams like that, the more we see these little wrinkles, the more you're getting previews of the playoffs. And so hopefully they don't have to do a lot of gadgety stuff starting after the all-star break next week. It'll just be back to, Hey, this is a normal functional basketball rotation. It's not the hospital Sixers, but it's good to see that they can squeeze some wins out of situations where, frankly, we weren't expecting them to win. Yep. Yep. Can I I, I say how cool it is to have uh, an account now join our chat and it's Ricky Council the fourth. Can I say that? (laughs) Go get him, Rick. We we had a T Harris in the other night. I'm not sure if that was intending to be Tobias Harris or Terrell Harris or who knows, but uh, somebody masquerading. We had Furk on. We have you know, a little while ago when he traded. was still a, still a part yeah. of the fam. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did have a super chat come in like legitimately 50 minutes ago that we all ignored. So I apologize <laughs> profusely to Bill, but we should probably well, get to that I was fixing right my feed here. I was, you know, I yeah, missed yeah, it. Sure. Yeah, we, we had to reboot, reboot Devon and my microphone <laughs> and all kinds of stuff. So sorry, Bill. Know if there if there is a deadline for when the Sixers have to fill the last two spots on the roster. The answer is no. If you remember, they signed... Greg Monroe, like deep into March, it might've even been April, and he even played in the playoffs. The key deadline you have to worry about is March 1st, which is when players need to be waived by to be eligible to be on the playoffs. Uh, but that is the only deadline. So that was a, a real simple question to answer. There you go, Mr. CBA himself. I mean, it's a, a pretty- back. Come yeah. on, man. Bring no, Furkan is he actually not can't. coming back. He actually can't. I know he can't, but I'm just saying. There bring was Furkan. a little bit of question whether or not they could bring back Marcus Morris because Kyle's point that he made on the show the other day, the other day was actually true. If he is traded from the Sixers and traded a second time as a separate transaction, then it is actually a loophole. He could come back. But it was a three-team deal, which means he only changed teams once. 
which means the Sixers cannot sign him until June or July 1st. So no, they can't. Did you see so. where there was a, a report from the Pat Bev pod again about Marcus Morris this time? <laughs> I did not. I did not. That, I didn't know I had you're to You're already that on out. our podcast corner. Can you get off the reporter corner too, man? What the yeah. hell? Reporting that he's got gonna, work to live, buddy. He's, he's going to sign with the West Coast team, man. Okay. That's what it looks like. Marcus Morris moment from Minnesota. That's what the Pat yeah, I, say, I thought I, I thought he said Minnesota specifically. <clears throat> Who, by the mm-hmm. way, I don't know. If, I know Devon, you and I talked about it last night. Minnesota team. I watched that game against the Clippers last that night. Was a they, great one. They they turned the water off on LA after a certain point. That was an yeah. impressive defensive performance yeah they did yeah anthony edwards man big fan big fan oh and look i'm a i would say i'm a rudy gobert i don't know if hater is the right word rudy gobert skeptic is probably more of a an accurate description but i think if you're if you're a believer and credit to Derek, who was high on minnesota coming into Mm -hmm. the year when i Mm -hmm. was still pretty dubious I think if you're a believer in Gobert and what they're building there, I think how you differentiate it, this team versus, you know, the teams in Utah that flamed out in the playoffs is that they got real wing athletes to surround them with. So when a team like LA spreads it out, plays five out the way the Clippers like to in the playoffs and certainly tried to last night, you got McDaniels and you got Ant out there in addition to some other guys instead of, you know, Bojan Bogey and Clarkson. And, yeah. yeah. Which, by the way, you know, there's already been some pushback on Bojan in New York for looking pretty rancid defensively on, granted, a team. That's who that he is. is. Uh, yeah. He's rancid but I think defensively. People ex- I think people expected him to be a little bit. He's had a better reputation there than he's shown on the floor for a good three, four years at this point. Yeah. No, look, he, he he would have been I like I really like him as a, an offensive fit because I trust not only the shot, but the decision making and the movement. Uh, he's borderline unplayable in the playoffs. And I'm probably saying borderline just to be kind. Uh, he would be a tough fit in a playoff series against the Celtics. Let's just put it that way. Well, see what Buddy Hill, Buddy Hill, no problems there, man. Defensive stopper. Put him at the top of that one, two, two, Nick. Put him up there, man. Get crazy with Buddy Hill. Well, folks, that'll do it for us. Tomorrow we'll be back after the Sixers game, their final game of the first half. They're going to host the Miami Heat in the arena. It's going to be the final game before the All-Star break. Then I'll have a few days off to kind of recuperate, get some rest, and hopefully when we get back, they'll have some bodies able to join them on the floor so we can see this team a little bit uh, better. Kyle, we got a lot of people, man. A lot of people. We do have a lot of people. Once again, I love our people for showing up. By the way, I think our friend of the pod, Dan Murphy, who actually came to our previous takeover event, by the way, Dan Murphy in the chat or the comments of last night's video said that he moved a meeting today. Yes. To be able to be watching this show today. So I want to give a special individual shout out to Dan. Soundboard, Kyle. Oh, uh, well, Derek's on, on the soundboard. soundboard. I, I, I got the soundboard. soundboard. There's a thing. <laughs> so shout out to Dan and anybody else who took the time in the middle of the day to come hang out with us today. I want to specifically shout out all our people, though. Oh, this is the one you were looking for. I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. Yeah, there, you oh, go. there you go. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. So thank you to Dan. Thank you to Money Mar, who, by the way, a little bit of a pessimist recently. Come on, Money. What's going on, man? We got to. Ride the good vibe train for right now, buddy. Let's, let's come on, more. Fun. Come on, come on, man. We got Chris B, Philly Insider, AA Ron, Fusion, Martian Lynch, The Village, Eugene Ross, Brian Knight. We got Gavin, got my guy Will. We got Provolone John. We have friend or at least affiliate of the podcast, Ricky Council, the fourth. What Our up, guy. Rick? Go get him. Get him, Rick. We got Caden. We got, let's see. I'm, there's a lot of names here, fellas. Did I say the village? We got the village. We got you did. Philly Eagles fan. We got bro, Broad F. I don't Broad F. George. That looks like it should be something. I don't know, man. That's the what, what up, B? What up, B? You, you would it. think I don't talk for a living. We got Yukon in here. We got our guy, Al, the two minute warning. What up, Al? 
We got Randy. Got Finney Chase. We got Ken Wilson. We got a whole lot of people in here today. Patrick Harris. We had Bill, the plant avatar, our super chatter for the day. Thank you, Bill. Bill. Sorry for making you wait for so long, everybody. We love having you here each and every day. We got Coop there with with Derek there. We got Coop making an appearance. (laughs) Mark Andrews. (laughs) Once again, oh, look at that. I would try to get my dog, Louie, on the show. Say shout out to Louie. What up, Lou? He's 70 pounds. I'm not picking him up (laughs) on the show. That's that's a little bit of work. So everybody, if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button to subscribe to the pod. Hit the bell icon and you will get notifications. Each and every time we go live, you hit the thumbs up button. Maybe Louie will make an appearance on the next pod. Maybe Ricky Council hit some clutch free throws. Maybe you'll just have some good fortune in your personal life. In any case, we'll be back tomorrow, Wednesday night, after the Heat game. And then it's the All-Star break, baby. So we'll see you then. Have a good one. 